Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And from WBEZ in Chicago, this is Nerdette. This week on the show, Richard Linklater on his new film, Boyhood. If film is painting, time is the paint itself. So I've always felt there was a lot of open territory there. I wanted to cover all of childhood. My ideas were dispersed over the big canvas. So this idea I had of filming a little bit was the only way to tell this particular story, but it ends up this big time sculpture. And a story of love and pickles. Did you fall in love with me because of pickles? No, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) But first, our pal Dan Weissman from Marketplace got to do a story recently about the death of Archie and why it's smart business to kill characters. I'm no Superman. It's super good for business. Yeah, they're selling a lot. Archie's not the first or the last to have done this. There's some pretty famous examples. Two of the probably the most famous were Superman died in 1992. And apparently people just mobbed comic book stores the next day. And the thing sold out instantly. People paid like $30 for that comic book that day. And if wow. they couldn't find that, they bought something else. So the story is comic book shops made like 30 million bucks that day. Wow, in one day. One day. And now you can get them on eBay, right? I assume, yeah. <laughs> I assume. And then, so Superman in 92, obviously he's back. He came he's back like, pretty fast. He Cap- didn't stay dead. Nobody stays dead. Captain America died in 2007, did not stay dead for very long. But, I mean, the other thing about this is that this one doesn't even really count anyway. Because this is kind of an alternate Archie or a kind of what-if Archie, but it's actually to what if Archie's because right. it's the future. He's a grown up. He's married in one version to Betty and the other version to Veronica because how could you choose? <laughs> Everything on the face of it is like none of this really counts. I mean, look, he's married to Betty and Veronica. And uh, not in a big love kind of way. He's just got two no. alternate realities Right, happening. right. Yeah, there's just this garden of the forking path. So this is like if you grew up reading comic books, which I did, you mean you totally recognize all of this. Oh, this is an alternative universe or an imaginary story. I think is what the DC comic people called it. Marvel, which was my hometown, had a whole series called What If? <laughs> What if Uncle Ben had lived? I experienced this personally with the 25-cent passion. It was just kind of an insatiable hunger for more. An alternative earth, great. Then there's more stories. But who knew that that was true with Archie? I know. Archie and we know that they've got Lena Dunham writing some stories coming Tell me up about soon. that. So part of Lena Dunham's origin story, according to the coverage of this deal that she made with Archie, is that she was an Archie nerd. And so she's doing a four-part series in 2015 where there's going to be a reality TV show filming at Riverdale. This is a lot of brilliant PR moves, basically, back to back to back for a company that's how old? I mean, these comics have been around forever. Archie Andrews apparently first printed about 1941. Wow. It was part of the landscape. It was like Dennis the Menace and Peanuts and whatever else. Archie was still kind of on TV when I was a kid. But one of the other things that I reaffirmed by doing the story was that sales of comic books are so tiny compared to what they were 45 years ago. The top-selling comics, and I believe Archie was one of them, 
We're selling like half a million copies of every issue. That's a completely different universe where now 75,000, that's a top 10 thing. And then, of course, like the other big hit is this Afterlife with Archie, (laughs) which apparently was the best-selling graphic novel of June 2014 in which Jughead's dog, Hot Dog, dies. Jughead takes him to Sabrina, the teenage Mm -hmm. witch. Of course. Who enchants him back to life, but I guess something goes a little wrong. And Hot Dog comes back as a zombie. (laughs) Jughead turns into a zombie. And then, How can you tell the difference between Jughead and Jughead Zombie? He was pretty dumb before. <laughs> yeah, I, but he could talk. That's he, true. He was, okay. There's clips of Jughead like taking bites out of other people. <laughs> That's pretty sinister for Riverdale, but yeah. you know what? You got to change with the times. If zombies are the it thing, then here we go. Well, Dan Weissman, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone's homework is to go online. We'll have a link at nerdappodcast.com to your story about the death of Archie, which will soon be followed by the rebirth, we're sure, because no one stays dead in comic books. Not at all. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks. You can also find that link in our latest email newsletter, which you should subscribe to. Just go to the left side of the homepage on nerdatpodcast.com. Also coming up in this most recent newsletter, we will tell you what Stephen Colbert, Matt Greening, George R.R. R. Martin, and Juno Diaz all have in common. Way back last year when we were talking about Oscar season with A.A. A. Dowd from the A.V. Club, He couldn't gush enough about a film he'd gotten to see. It's Richard Linklater's Boyhood, and now the rest of us can see it. It's finally out. He did something in this movie that no one's ever done before. He filmed for just a few days each year for 12 consecutive years. So the main character, named Mason, goes from being 6 years old to 18 years old in real life. It's not makeup. It's not CGI. You're actually watching a human grow from child to man over the course of this film. I love this innovative approach to storytelling. And this is something that Richard Linklater is pretty well known for. We've talked about this before, Trisha, but I've seen approximately 10 movies in my life. And I have actually seen several Richard (laughs) Linklater movies. So this is all very exciting. Can we talk a little bit about, in this movie and in others, how you view time as its own character? Yeah, I mean... I'm getting asked that, I guess, because the Before series was finished last year, and that's like three movies over 18 years. And then this one's so much a time story over 12 years, so I'm having to articulate my ideas. But I think it's naturally the way I want to tell stories. But I think if I have to break it down, I think I've kind of replaced notions of plot with time structures. To me, I think it feels more the way we process the world. In the human psyche, you know, we're seeking patterns and we make sense of the world via structure and time is a big part. That's what we all have in common. We're all passing through time, you know. So when I try to tell a story, so much of it is how to tell it and how to perceive it. And I think that's such an innate way people perceive their own lives in the way we perceive history. And time is so innate to cinema. It's the most time-based Unlike other art forms, it's just so unique to film. If film is painting, time is the paint itself. You know, so it's what you do with it. So it's that innate to cinema. So I've always felt there was a lot of open territory there, storytelling, just from the beginning when I first got interested in film. And I was kind of coming to it maybe more from a literary background of studying, kind of wanted to be a novelist as a teenager, reading a lot. But I always thought like, well, why can't a film do this or that? So Boyhood ultimately is kind of a novelistic thing that you can't really do in cinema because in a book you can write, oh, and then he turned 13. You know, I can cover those years. In film, it's harder to represent that, especially in the incremental little stages I was going for. 
I can't recast someone every couple years because I, I wanted to cover all of childhood. My ideas were dispersed over the big canvas. So this idea I had of filming a little bit was the only way to tell this particular story, but it ends up this big time sculpture of some kind, you know. It's the most dramatic, of course, with the main character, the boy, but mm -hmm. the time passing for the adults in the film yeah. is stunning, too. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting because so often in Hollywood, you know, people on the outside kind of joke that you can play a high schooler until you're 35, apparently. <laughs> yeah. But here we have people actually being asked to have a character grow as they grow because they're people year mm -hmm. to year to year. And that must have been unique for adult actors to be told, you're playing this exact year. Yeah. Don't pretend that you're still yeah. one year out of college, even though no. you're 30 years old. I know. We're always in the moment, this film. And it was such a, a story challenge for everybody. They, they love the idea. You know, artists get it. You know, Patricia and Ethan, when I first floated the idea by them, they're like, yeah, think of the possibilities. We'll all get older and how we'll mature. You know, like, what a great new way to tell the story. That's kind of how we were thinking. But I can't think of two more vanity-free performances than what Patricia and Ethan give. I mean, they kind of give of themselves, and they just age. As Ethan said, he was watching the movie early on, maybe year eight. We were watching it together and talking about it as we went. You know, he's such a great collaborator. But uh, he said, wow, they grow up. We age. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, what is that point? You quit growing up and you start <laughs> aging. You can't really say for sure, but you know it when, you're, <laughs> when you get there. So it's really about that. And instead of trying to have a makeup artist cover up the fact if you have a, a dispersed shoot that time has passed, it's like, oh, that new line? Keep it. We love it. <laughs> Tells us that another year has gone by. Yeah, yeah. Do you want the pimples? You know, like, do we cover that? It's like, no, we've worked hard. I've been waiting for those pimples for seven years, you know, like, yeah. You know, so it was all kind of a warts and all. And my own daughter, Lorelai, is in it, and she was like, oh, those awkward ages. You know, she still feels a little weird about it, but uh, it's kind of a brave, you know, everyone kind of brought their whole A game, I guess. Well, and she's part of this Facebook generation that we hear Mason talk about in the film. More of our young lives are documented and on the Internet now than any other generation before. Oh, yeah. But can you talk a little about relating this to an audience that, you know, maybe is a little young for it now, but who's going to have maybe not this artfully done of a life story on video, but mm -hmm. somewhere on a hard drive. I think Jim Gaffigan has said he has more pictures of his children than his father ever looked at him because of the way technology has yeah, changed how we so, document. It's so easy. I think of home movies when I was a kid shooting on eight millimeter and then super eight, you know, it was just those special moments and, you know, they had a camera. You didn't just keep it running like the, the way you can in this era. So, yeah, we're, there's a whole generation or two now of just, you know, extremely well-documented lives. But it's then it becomes like, well, so what? You know, like, what do you do with it? You know, it's documentation isn't storytelling. I mean, it's a record, but, uh, you know, what, what does it mean? It's a mystery. You know, like, are we that little kid we are in that picture? And who are we? So, I don't know. It, it must affect the psyche in a different way. One last question for you. There's been some debate recently about whether the genre of young adult, literature specifically, but I think mm -hmm. it could have a parallel in film, is not for adults, that they shouldn't waste their time with yeah. it. And you work so often with children. You've made movies that are family friendly. You make movies about childhood yeah. in such a respectful way. I wonder if you have any thoughts on this idea that young protagonists equate some sort of immaturity. <laughs> 
No, not at all. I think you can make pretty profound films about life seen through young eyes. I th think that's pretty obvious. Uh, you know, Huckleberry Finn, anyone? <laughs> you know, so, you know, that's ridiculous. But I think, yeah, there, there's a controversy. Should adults be reading Twilight and Harry Potter? And frankly, you know, my daughter was a certain age. We're first-generation Harry Potter. I liked reading those books to her. They're just kind of wonderful. But once they don't need you to read them to them, <laughs> I find myself not really reading the next ones because there's just still so much other stuff to to be read in my world. But uh, I don't begrudge anyone who does. You know, what the hell? Fair. You know, it's fun to be in on what's in the air, I guess, what everybody's reading and how literature affects kids at any time. It's kind of a great era. I'm glad this notion that we're becoming dumber, more illiterate, quite the opposite. I think it's a whole new generation of people who grew up reading a lot. There's just a lot of compelling stories out there for them to get a hold of. So it's a good era to be a young person. Boyhood is out in theaters now. Go see it. That's your homework from us here at Nerdette. <laughs> Richard Linklater, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let me go. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hasia whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one -on -one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at haciaworks.org. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. This is Nerdette. So one of the big themes of Nerdette is that idea that we all need to be nerd ambassadors for something, right? It's that notion that it's okay if someone else isn't super obsessed with Doctor Who because that means you have the opportunity to share that passion with them. And it really plays out whenever two nerds meet and, you know, become more than friends. Our contributor, Lauren Chulgin, is going through a very similar situation, and she's here to tell us more about it. Hey, Lauren. Hi, friends. Yay. It's good to see you. Have you discovered any new dinosaurs lately? No, but in my spare time, I've been hanging out with a new boy. Oh. I guess he's not so new anymore, but I've learned through our last 10, 11 months of our relationship that he really does indeed geek out about pickles in a way that I geek out about other things. So I made a little audio postcard for you guys to kind of introduce at to you. Okay, can you say and spell your first name and tell me who you are? You know. <laughs> I need this, my records. <laughs> this is like what you did on the first date, interview me. That's um, not right. It's kind of true. It's Matt Bear, and it's M-A-T-T-B-A-E-R. Thank you. I've always had this weird fascination with, like, salty, vinegary, crunchy vegetables. My brother could tell you the hilarious, weirdo little Matt sitting in the kitchen table, um, like, eating full jars of, like, Clausen dills. 
The method that I use when I make pickles is a combination of a few different things. First is a recipe from a book that my roommate Jack gave me. The book, I think, is The Joy of Pickling. That includes putting the pickles in for about 8 to 12 hours in like a cold saltwater brine before you can them later. Uh, but I've adapted that based off of trade secrets from the McClure brothers. <laughs> so they're kind of like a hot, brined, cold-packed pickle. I'm probably now at an age where it's like really exciting to have a hobby. So instead of building train sets, I make pickles. And I think that it's amazing to have the skill to make the thing you love. As it's become like a thing for me, it's always been like, oh, Matt loves pickles, but it was never like a thing that people use to describe me. Early on, I was like, ah, I'm more than just pickles. But in all reality, I love it because it gives, you know, an initial window into who I am and what I love to do. Pickles have connected me to, to lots of people. Did you fall in love with me because of pickles? No, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault you for that. <laughs> First of all, it's so weird hearing myself and what I sound like when I talk to him because it's always like, oh, I'm my boyfriend. <laughs> I was going to call you out on that, so I'm glad you picked up on it. Too. Didn't he send your parents pickles <laughs> yeah. in the mail before you met? The meeting yeah. of the parents in a new relationship is a big moment, but he preceded it with pickles. <laughs> it's become so much larger than vinegar, salt, garlic, cucumbers. It's become kind of a way for my friends and family that I care about who are so far away to kind of get to know him as a very enthusiastic and passionate person. That idea of living in superlatives. I'm attracted to that in people in general, whether it's a romantic relationship or just any kind of friendship. If someone doesn't have something in their life that they love as much as Matt loves pickles, I'm a little worried for them. Yeah, this isn't something he does for work. I mean, he, this is something he does for fun. But that got me interested in, in you know, how do people take a passion or something they geek out about and actually make it into a thriving business. So we decided to stop by the McClure Brothers Pickle Factory and talk to them about how they took it from the beginnings and became, you know, successful business owners that are now in Whole Foods or anywhere you can find them. It was forced on us at the young, young age of about uh, two and my brother was uh, five by my grandparents and my parents. So it was old, old family recipe passed down. I guess uh, growing up, we never likened it to love or hate, but figured it as a family tradition that you just grew up with and it was kind of embedded. I suppose there were times when we wished we were outside playing because whenever you were pickling, it was during the summer and it was very hot in a small kitchen with a bunch of relatives handling very cold cucumbers and hot peppers. Um, I remember just being like the ice guy, and I remember my hands and arms freezing, trying to dig out the cucumbers from this bucket of ice-cold cucumber water. We do what's called a fresh-pack hot brine method, where everything is packed fresh. We would keep the cucumbers really, really cold in order to make them crunchy and keep crunchy for a long period of time. It took us a while to 
figure out how to scale production properly. We started in small kettles and we kind of grew into larger kettles and then hopefully even larger kettles, you know. So it wasn't like from the kitchen at home to this, you know. Yeah, there's significant challenges that you would never expect would come upon you or you would face as uh, a business owner. You really have to figure out well, what is it that you get enjoyment about and pursue that and figure out a pathway to have everything else that isn't enjoyable. How do you get it to a point where it can be taken care of? And that's kind of where, where Joe and I are figuring out, all right, well, we've been doing everything for the last seven years. So how do we figure out what are the steps we need to put in place so that we can go and seek out the fun again? Trisha and Greta, that's what kind of fascinates me about all this is when you have this passion, but then you take it and make it a business, and then it gets so far beyond just that thing you love to do. You could be living the dream as a professional nerd of whatever you're a nerd about, and there's still stupid office politics, and there's still complicated things. So maybe for most of us, it's better to keep the pickling at home. You know, this is something that they used to love, and they still love it, and they do a great job, and they've had all these adventures. Like, they were telling us that Jimmy Fallon called them and was like, can you do a pickling lesson at my apartment for me and my wife? Like, (laughs) that's pretty insane. And you were visiting them on vacation. This was a vacation activity to hang out with these pickle kings. Turns out, this is like girlfriend of the year (laughs) moment for me, because... This was an enormous deal for Matt. He, like, worried about what to wear. He was, like, getting giddy as if he were going to meet his favorite band. (laughs) And actually, we left afterward, and we came in and sat down in the car, and he looked at me, and he said, Lauren, they're rock stars. It's great (laughs) to see people who are authentically passionate about something, you know? I say, Mark, and for a pickle. How about two cents? Okay. I have two pickles, I have two pickles, I have two pickles today. Hey, hey. Your homework this week is to find a way to see Richard Linklater's new film, Boyhood. And your homework from Richard is to see another coming-of-age film. I would invite everyone to go watch, if you haven't seen it, Ingmar Bergman's Fanny and Alexander, the five-hour. Turn off your phone, turn off all social media, and go back to... What's it said in 1907? Beautiful Swedish film. It's probably the best film about the mentality of being a young person. It's a 30-year-old film. The Criterion has it. That's a little homework assignment for those who haven't seen it. I hope new generations of young people see that movie. I just showed it last spring. I was hosting a series in Austin where I live of 80s films, and I watched it again, and I thought, oh, wow, there's a stepfather. I mean, I had my own stepfathers, you know, in boyhood. It was from a personal place, but... uh. I realized, oh, wow, that this is the greatest film about that view of the magical thinking of a kid. It's an epic budget, and it's so beautifully done. Now it's time to hear from you. Nerd Confessions. Hi, Nerdette. This is Heather with a nerd confession for you. When I was a kid on summer vacation, the highlight of my day was a little TV show called Where in Time is Carmen Sandiego. Stop, 
the case, and we're chasing her through history. Now, this isn't Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, the one with Rock Apollo. This is actually a different show that aired a couple years later. So every episode of Where in Time is Carmen Sandiego opened with a brief explanation of what got stolen, who stole it, stuff like that. And there was a case number, and this is key because this is where my nerd confession kicks in. I was determined to figure out the pattern behind the case numbers. So I had a spiral notebook where I meticulously logged every episode, the case number, the loot, the criminal, all the details. I just had to know what the case numbering system was, whether it was ordered by criminal or the time period of the loot or whatever. I'm now pretty sure those numbers were just random, and I was obsessed over nothing. <laughs> on the plus side, I still, almost 20 years later, use a screen name based on one of the characters from that show. So I guess that's something. Thanks, Nerdette. Bye. This nerd confession I can absolutely relate to, and I think we should maybe even bring my mother's microphone up for a moment. Hey, guys, did you know that my mom's here? Say hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. <laughs> oh, I mean, hi, everybody. This is my mother, Marsha. I don't recall this show very specifically, but I do know that the CD-ROM version of Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego is the only video game I was ever allowed to have. <laughs> it wasn't a video game. It was actually a computer game. It wasn't technically a video game. I would never allowed my kids to have video games. <laughs> you played it incessantly. That's the thing is you were, you were kind of a serial nerd, you know, growing a up. A serial nerd. <laughs> yes. Please explain. Well, because you'd get onto something and obsess about it until you wore it out. I think it's the term renaissance nerd, right? That's what you're talking oh, about. Oh, yes. Yes. Thank you. That's better than serial nerd, isn't it? It <laughs> makes me sound a little like a serial killer. Yeah. Thanks, Greta. I prefer, I prefer renaissance nerd to serial nerd. I thought it, it was a little more gentle. Call and leave us your nerd confession, 312-600-5638, and tell us all about when you were at your nerdiest. Everything from epic fails to humble brags are welcome. I told my mother, to prepare her nerd confessions. And first she said she didn't have any. And then she sort of smirked and she said that she has a Game of Thrones-related story that she was ahead of her time. <laughs> so now I'm going to make her tell whatever this story is. Well, this is the thing. I had a cat. I called it Candy. and That's a good start for a nerd cat, story. Yes, I thought so too. And I created this whole realm of things around this cat. And the cat was the king. I remember cleaning out a whole section of our basement and building up with boxes and crates and all kinds of things along this one wall. And at the very top, it was like a throne. And, <laughs> and, I, and I got some chalk. And there were cinder block walls. And on the wall of the basement, I wrote, King Candy. And the king was like in charge of everything. And I had this whole imaginary thing. and The and, realm uh, of cats. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, Marsha, I want you on every week. Hello, and <laughs> you a proper fellow. That's a pounce. <laughs> Very handsome. Joffrey didn't like you. The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson. Joe DeSoto makes sure WBEZ podcasts are pickled to perfection. Do you like-
like pickles. I think they stink. With additional help from Iris Lynn and Patrick Burns. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org. You can hear Nerdette on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Find us at nerdatpodcast.com. Sign up for our email newsletter. Talk to us on Twitter at nerdatpodcast. And like us on Facebook. Thanks to you for the iTunes stars and all the Twitter love this week. We were especially delighted to hear from Janina Gavankar, who you may know as Luna Garza from True Blood or Shiva from The League. Sharing your love of Nerdette with your friends on social media really helps us out, so thank you for spreading the good word. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.